This is City State Radio. This is a show where we talk about cities around the nation, across the world, with a lot of chat about uh, our own hometown of Louisville. Although we're going to maybe, you know, jump off the Louisville beat a little today. We got some talk about a city close by us, upriver from the Ohio. We got some talk about policies to how to make um, better public spaces for teenage girls um, and, and women in general in cities. Uh, but, but first, you know, let's just sort of ease into this. Let's, my name's Pat Smith. I'm coming at you from the vacation studio, Kiowa Island, South Carolina, a little bit, a little bit away from the Louisville. Uh, how are my dudes out there? Uh, what's y'all's names? Where are y'all coming from? I'm Patrick Henry, and I am coming from Whiskey Row. In downtown. Oh, the offices? I'm, I'm in the office today. So. Nice. That's awesome. This is yeah. a Patrick from Belknap, uh, rainy Belknap. It's raining, raining in Louisville? Oh, yeah. Mm. We got, well, it was we got, out on a site visit today and got rained on. So oh, so no a site fun. visit in town? Yeah. It's it's not raining here on the beach. It's um, very nice. <laughs> Very sunny, sandy. We got little inflatable boats. The rings were jumping on. Man, I had the worst thing happen to me yesterday that's happened to me in a long time. Out riding bikes across the island, around the island, a lot of great trails. Like it's it's really cool. The whole a lot of the island's just very forested, so it's like very shady until you get to the beach. But Anyway, you know, cruising on the beach cruiser around some of these bike bike trails and like there was some line dudes out, I guess, blowing up the sediment or whatever. Got something in my eye. And, you know, as happens when you get something in your eye, you're just like, you know, whatever. It's going to come out eventually. This is uncomfortable. Uh, this isn't feeling good. And it just never came out. And it just started to get worse and worse. And worse, and like it was getting to the point where I couldn't even open my other unaffected eye, and I was like, I was rubbing it, I was putting the drops in, I was I had the little spray thing nozzle from the kitchen sink, you know, shooting cold water into it, and like the more stuff I did to it, just the worse it was getting. So I was like, oh my god, we got to go to the doctor, and luckily the little like new urbanist community here on the island it's called Freshfields. that's a weird name for a town i think Freshfields. it's it's it, it's like a grocery store name it didn't sound like a town name i don't know where that came from but anyway it's yeah this little new urbanist community it's like uh the main drag you know was all like storefronts and everything and like the parking lots are on the other sides kind of hidden but like uh there was an optometrist and i, I didn't realize that you know just uh, i guess a lot of optometry glasses shops those guys are like, you know, full on optometrist doctors in there. So he was able to like get me in right before they closed. And he, uh, you know, got into my eye and pulled out a little piece of like just glassy sand that was in there. Ooh. And he was like, yeah, like that's, that wasn't going to come out. That was like fully just going to bury and keep continuing to bury into your eye. And like, um, he was like, you're, you know, you're lucky you came in or you would have been in some like serious pain for the next 24 hours. I mean, I was already in serious pain, but like, um, man, nothing like that's ever happened to me. I, I don't, I, I can't believe like, um, 
just how painful something that small can be stuck under your eyelid. And it was just like, it was like embedded in, in the top of my eye. I couldn't, couldn't get to it. It was like scratching my eye all up. My eyes like seriously damaged. Uh, it, it's going to heal back, but it was just like, man, it was rough. You're out riding the bikes. Yeah. Yeah. We we're out riding and like, it just popped in there. Anyway, long story, just traumatic. I uh, just wanted to, you know, retell that tale to let go of some <laughs> of this trauma, but, um, I don't know. What's what's up? What's going on with you? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> had, had lunch. Listen, I had lunch with uh, Scott and Martin today, friend of oh, the show. Origin, Origin Park. Yeah, the big it was new funny. park we were, across the river. Yeah, we were talking about things a little bit of what we're going to talk about today. I think, which is just this idea of, um, you know, what do people need in public spaces, and yeah. in particular. Yeah, I think just, I don't know if we're going to get into that, but yeah, let's just let's just dive into that now. I mean, I think this is kind of on top of this um, Alexandra Lang story that was in um, Bloomberg City Lab that popped out um, late last week, I think May 28th. And also on top of something that we sort of uh, sh- shouted out uh, last week that I saw that was um, a retweet from the, the great poet and um, uh, writer in Louisville, <clears throat> Hannah Drake. Like so, the one the one from Bloomberg is titled um, "Teen Girls Need Better Public Spaces to Hang Out," and then the subtitle "Basketball Courts, Skate Parks, and Playgrounds Overlook an Important Demographic: Teenage Girls." A burgeoning design movement is trying to fix that. And then, sort of even before I saw that, a couple of days, um, Hannah Drake dropped this piece on um, "Write Some S Word." It's not the actual URL, but writesomesword.com. That's um, over 400 women shared what they would do at night if they weren't afraid. And um, she goes on to say, I pray one day we live in a world where women can just live and we don't have to be afraid of what lurks in the dark, who hides in the shadows, and things that go bump in the night. So, you know, kind of both of these um, very recent um, pieces here are they're just sort of talking about why, you know, can't we you know, design better spaces for young women and for women of all ages. I, I, I got to imagine, you know, just like a big, a big part of that is just that, like, there's just a bunch of creepy men out there. And, but like, what can you, you know, design public space to like make it more difficult for creepy men uh, to, to creep? Like, so this, the sort of pictures from the city lab piece are really impressive. I was not hip to this. And I definitely want to hear um, your all's perspective as park designers and urban designers on this swing time park um, that this is in Boston. And this is like, I guess what five or six year old park that's got this design feature. That's just extremely rad looking. There's like 20 hoop shaped swings that are suspended from a shade structure and they light up um, when they're in use. They glow purple. Um, I guess they glow more intensely, like the more you swing on them. It's it's a really neat looking thing. This is from um, Howler, Hooler, and Yoon architecture. And it's just like, why aren't we designing more of these like super rad, architecturally cool looking, like things in our parks, like people, you you see the picture of this thing, and, and we'll retweet it at underscore city state um, on on Twitter. But you see this thing, and it's just like 
I got to go run up and check that out. And like, it's like the hoops are designed in this way where like you can kind of like lounge and recline in one. It's like kind of wider at the base, but then tapers up towards the, um, where the swing part is attached. And it's just a really great looking piece of architecture or of, of park infrastructure. And it's like, why, why don't, why am I not seeing these in Louisville? Like what's going on? Have you guys, are you guys know about the, this, 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 I guess, Oh yeah, yeah. What's up? It gets it gets plugged into every uh, park precedent <laughs> project. You know, it's like, oh, we could do this, right? Um, I, you know, it's interesting. You know, the, I think this 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 idea of like teen girls need better public spaces to yeah. hang out. Yeah, right. Let's get back and to so, that. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we all need better spaces to hang out. Uh, but including teen girls and, and the conversation that Scott and I were having is, is there really a difference, you know, like, you know, if you are uh, a black person, a white person, an old person, a teenager, I think the more we can make public spaces and places that have interesting features that are not, you know, that sort of have space for lots of different people to move around in, you know, you're not sort of squeezed into a particular area and that people just feel safe. Um, you know, you're going to then start meeting a lot of needs. And, um, I don't know that the needs of teen girls are that much different in what they need to get out of public space. I think it's some, in some respect, they, they, they may be. And I know what you're saying and just sort of like in that generalized sense, like, hey, like everybody, you know, wants a cool swing or a great bench or nice shade. But I think maybe there's like there's this particular time in adolescence for young women where, you know, they, they want to break free of the crib and the parents and the demands and the whatever's going on with the parents and, you know, do this, do your homework. Can you help me with your little your little siblings, you know, whatever. But then they go, you know, out on the street and then there's like either like annoying male peers of their age yeah. or there's other people and they're just like, well, the male peers can go down to the soccer pitch or the male peers can hang out in front of the corner store. But like all these places are like, I want to get away from my family, but like all of the public places are like male dominated with like annoying boys, you know, like, and it's, I don't know necessarily that it's like we need like it needs to be like this space is just girls only, you know, but like how do like young women find, you know, like just like a, a niche or a, a space of their own where there's like they can kind of like, you know, chat, hang out and feel relaxed without having to have like their guard up. And and, and maybe there's not like a kind of a, a park design or a public space design to help alleviate that. But I, I think there's like, like one thing that was interesting in the article is there's this, I guess, new um, sort of research and or, or do tank um, kind of a group in, in Great Britain called Make Space for Girl, Girls that are thinking about these issues and thinking about how to, um, you know, listen to young women when they're talking about like, you know, what kind of athletic facilities do you want? Are you interested? Like, like what kind of skate parks do you like to see? Like, how would you like them design? And I think, if, if you can't really just straight up design a space and, and say, you know, creepy men or annoying adolescent boys can't come here, at least you could like get 
specifically get young women's input on how these spaces are designed? We got into that discussion a little bit at the end of the last show when we were talking yeah. about the, the park. I'm glad you know, you're bringing that up. Opening up the uh, opening up the road again to automobiles, and one of the things yeah. that we kept hearing was that you know, women, you know, when they closed everything down, could jog and everything mm-hmm. in the park. And but as opposed to having get guys or whatever cat people yeah. rolling through the park and cat calling while they're trying to like get their exercise on and stuff, and it's like that. I I've witnessed that happen to ladies recently who have yeah. been doing stuff for work related and somebody would drive by in a truck and be like honk the horn and wave and stuff and she's like trying to do to like measure a sidewalk and i was just like this is insane like and it's even worse when you're out you know jogging and stuff like that or just trying to enjoy like a space like a park totally yeah uh, so like i totally see what they're saying about like creating those spaces where you don't have creeps being able to hang out and uh you know one of the things that they talk about in this article on in city lab too is about the uh the swings and like mm-hmm. they said, the, uh, the girls like to use the swings and i don't know exactly what exactly what the specific relationship is there but i do know that uh, our friend nate uh, hommel in philadelphia he did a, a the, the porch at 30th street which is at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia in the uh, um, University District, uh, and when they would they would do people would walk up and down that stretch um, every day and like take a tab of just like writing down how many men and women they saw and like you know different demographics and stuff just to get a sense of who the users were. And when they put these big swings in that, like, two people could sit next to each other and swing on, they're really kind of art pieces of art. But there were, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 of these. Like, more women started using the space. And, like, they documented it. It's like you could actually see that they were creating a space that more women felt comfortable. Yeah. And, you know, I'd like to know more about, like, the psychology and everything around that. But it's interesting that swings keep coming back. One one thing I think on on swing time in Boston is in, in what in kind of linking this up with what you're saying and, and why it maybe works for women, it, it, I think the light is a factor. Like, and the way that the light attracts people and like the cool like nice purple lights on the swings that there was this whole swing loop you know becomes this like you know beautiful glowing purple. People are attracted to that, and I think you know. People are going to feel safer when other people are around. Like, so these, yeah. you, you create these public spaces that are like so welcoming that there's yeah. like always groups of people there. So there's not an opportunity <laughs> for people to sort of like isolate um, women, like, right? Like, I think yeah. that, that's one part of it. The other thing you were saying, like, just to sort of jump back earlier to what I was saying about like the, the correct input, that was, I think, a great observation, you know, about the power of input is like that, that meant that the idea about that, that men catcalling women out of cars and kind of isolating them as they're jogging and they get to roll up in a car while this woman is on foot. Like that, that's terrible. Right. But like listening to that input and shutting down the ability for cars to be able to go through these park settings is that's the kind of input that we need to listen to. 
Yeah, that that was a huge today when Scott and I were talking, it was about it was about one, that idea of a safe place for people to be run, gather, um, you know, removing cars from the loop, for example, and women feeling more feeling safer to sort of do that exercise. But two, the big, the most key component is to have a place activated with lots of people Mm -hmm. so that so that. women or just people who might feel vulnerable in a situation where there aren't many people, you know, younger people, whatever, uh, can almost always feel more comfortable in those sort of activated spaces where there are lots of people, right? A street that is active with lots of people on it feels much safer than a street where there's no one on the street. And so that's what, that is in part what I meant just by you have to make these these public spaces um, just better for all people so that that you have that kind of activation showing up in lots of gathering. I mean, I love this idea of swings and I'm, I'm interested in, in, in what that means, um, you know, to sort of introduce swings and how that brings people and women in. But um, really just having good places with with all different options for sitting, hanging yeah. out, gathering, whatever that's not so programmed in the sense of, okay, it's a soccer field, right? I mean, that has a place, but um, I think the activation is so is such a totally, key. Totally. Activation, light, people. Like on the on the light tip, you know, like so Hannah Drake's piece, which we'll we'll also retweet um, at underscore city state. Um, she, she's called this over 400 women shared what they would do at night if they weren't afraid. And like, I'm just looking through all these comments that she collected and like, there's like a big one that's just like kind of really tragic, like that's killing me. So basically a lot of women dread like the end of daylight savings time at the end of summer. Like, cause like, especially like at the peak of daylight, like it's light up until like nine 30 um, even past like, almost 940 before the sunset said, you know, when it's like that really high sun, you know, part of the summer and like women, a lot of women love that because that means that like extends their range of being able to like walk to the grocery or take a jog or whatever, like way past what it does for a huge rest of the part of the year. And I'd never really thought about that before. Like that's like, that's people being like, oh man, like we got to like, you switch the clocks back and it's getting towards fall or whatever. Like that's, um, that's just like terrible to think about is like, you, you know, your ability to move about in the world and recreate or do your business and feel safe, um, diminishes when the, the, the sun goes down earlier. Yeah. I, th- when we come back, we, I think we need to do some business. We're going to come back I'd love to sort of touch on that briefly. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, the great theme song that we have, we've been having, having this for what, two or three months now from our good friend, um, Brian Manley with um, the Smacks and his bandmate, J. Todd Dockery. Thank you. Thanks to them for having a great theme song. Brian has a show right here on WXOXLP Louisville called uh, Driftless Turmoil. A chaotic tumble into a haphazard in a regular tank of sounds, including underground rock, noise, metal, crust, punk, hip-hop, forgotten pop, modern composition, Louisville music, and other records recovered from the catacombs, plus occasional interviews 
and ideas about music, society, events, and other brass tacks from the American Globe. That's every Monday here on Art FM, Monday, 6 p.m. Eastern, all the way to 8. Great two-hour show. Okay, I'm going to butcher this, so bear with me. Adelante Hispanic Achievers is a nonprofit that empowers Latinx youth to achieve their dreams. 100% of their students have graduated high school on time, and 94% graduate college within five years or fewer. Adelante invites you to join Apoyando Adelante Virtual Happy Hour on Saturday, June 5th at 4 p.m. The event includes a silent auction, drinks, music, art, and much more. Find more details on Facebook by searching Adelante KY. All right. Great program. Great folks. Um, familiar with some of their work through um, some of just the, the great things happening in partnership with them across the community. But you wanted to get back onto this idea of um, women in cities at night and, you know, the sort of just stuff they have to put up with and them feeling less comfortable being sort of um, in public spaces at night. Well, it was it was just you brought up that comment, which it's funny. I've been thinking about a little bit is is yeah. a sort of uh, the comment about daylight savings yeah. times and basically that you know, extended daylight, allowing them more time to to do the things they need to do outside, right, mm-hmm. or want to do. And I, th- I, I think that same thing probably occurs to a lot of different people, like women and elderly and stuff like that, if you're living in certain neighborhoods that may um, suffer, suffer from higher rates of crime and things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just something I'd been thinking about, um, lately as, you know, sort of worked in some different areas, parts of town. And we have, we're literally some of the biggest comments we're getting and feedback from the residents, you know, um, the, the sort of constituents will be using these places and spaces is, you got to light it, you know, you yeah, got to light, light it, it well light it up. Um, and th- because, yeah, that's a real thing that people are having to deal with, you know, in our city, a lot of people. And it's 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 tragic to think that people go through big chunks of their lives having to deal with that on a so, daily basis. And some of these comments, I mean, one that keeps coming up, people can't or women like feel like they can't walk their dog at night. And that's just like. Oh my God, that's like your dog's got to go. You want to get the dog exercise because they're annoying when they don't get exercise. And to be like, to be like, oh man, like I feel like I can't take my dog out. That's like a huge win. So like you can't have your, can't wear your headphones when you're out. Like I guess walking or riding your bike or whatever, like at night, cause somebody could creep up on you. Like th- these are, th- these are big ones. Like, um, but the thing about the light is huge. There was that, I don't know what that plaza is or that streetscape in Seattle is that was going around a lot uh, this week on Twitter. Did you guys see that? There's like some kind of um, street that has just some sort of like incredible like light, almost like a just tiny glowing lights, like a, like a canopy of it over the whole street. But like, why can't we be like more interesting with the way we design light on streets? Like I know we've got the, the kind of old municipal like street lights which are huge 
much needed just you know the old sort of like big like what is it 20 25 feet tall uh, you know just the old school street lights why can't we work with the engineers and make cooler looking options to light public places especially in thoroughfares especially in residential streets yeah. like with cooler looking lights nicer like i don't know what's up with that 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 street so now i do know what you're talking about because I, I have seen that going around i just quickly googled it that street is just great on a number of levels what, right where is it's it got, and what is it uh, the it, it was an instagram post by someone named nikisha anyway um it's it's um i guess it's seattle that's what i googled uh pioneer square yeah uh, in seattle and it's just got so much good going on it's got a streetscape with you know old buildings uh that are three and four stories tall it's got an alley of trees that's just magical and then someone strung lights from like head height up yeah um it looks great yeah it's fantastic but um, I would like to see, you know, the, whatever it is, you know, the, the, the public works. Like, like, why can't we do cooler designed municipal infrastructure via city public works departments? I mean, I know we talked about this a little bit last week in relations to public transit or, or no, just the design of roadways. Sorry. But like, we need to like, we could be doing cooler. I, I mean, I, from what I see in some of the cities, like in, in, in China, really, is they're like, they're going like next level with like engineering combined with aesthetics and design and doing some really nuts out there. And it's not even out there, just like kind of human design for streets at all elements. And we're like kind of still stuck in this like 1950s dusty engineering book. Like it's got to be like this or there's got to be an accident. And it's like, but really there's not going to be an accident. It's like we could do things differently. And I know there's some voices out there pushing for that. Hopefully we can be a small part of that. I would want to encourage other citizens to get out there and be like, why can't we do more with with the way we make our cities safer for for everybody including you know young women and women of all ages that are trying to move around at night the litigiousness of our society i mean (laughs) first thing is like to want to sue someone i mean everybody's trying to cover themselves why would we sue somebody for having beautiful lights everywhere if you use lights that aren't the cobra head (laughs) <laughs> you can use them and KYTC will allow it. Um, it can happen. I know Puma, you've got an article we're going to talk about here in a minute. And I would just encourage those folks from Louisville who haven't been to Lexington in a little while, go and drive down Vine Street. Um, the Town Branch Commons is going in and you can see it now. I need to post some pictures. I was there what, yesterday. What is Town Branch um, Commons? Town Branch Commons was a uh, competition project that the city of Lexington put out. A bunch of really big firms competed against it. Scape, Landscape Architecture won it. And then uh, uh, Gresham Smith um, did the what they call the design drawings, so the construction drawings to bring it to life. And it's coming to life right now. We took 
you know, downtown Lexington traffic is like uh, there are two one way streets that are kind of the major streets. There's Main Street and Vine, and both of them are like four lanes wide. We took a lane away from Vine. So now it's down to three. And we gave that to pedestrian and bicycles and a huge sort of green infrastructure that runs down it. It has a characteristic that is sort of uh, reflects the sort of old stone walls and what you think of as the sort of bluegrass region. So the materials are sort of reflecting the place. There's contemporary lighting that is not cobra heads. Uh, every 60 feet that run down the two miles of this thing. Um, there are all kinds of landscape features. There's a mile of uh, bioswales, a mile mm. long run of bioswales, um, you know, 300, almost 400 trees being planted. Um, you know, again, sort of multi use pass system, uh, bike pass system, pedestrian pass system. And, you know, they gave that to the people and took that away from the cars and what'll happen along Vine Street and the Midland portion starting to, they're starting to build that. Uh, what'll happen is those, anything along those, that path system, will, you know, those property values will go up. It'll be activated. There'll be a lot going on. Um, Lexington's doing it. So. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. We're talking about, I guess in this next segment, the city of Cincinnati, great old American city, just an hour northeast from the Louisville. And our, our man, Patrick Pima, was there uh, just, uh, gosh, I guess earlier last week and was checking out some cool things they had going around um, the Cincy, around Northern Kentucky, which has uh, some cool little towns there, Covington, Newport. You wrote a great piece at udstudio.org, Patrick. Um, tell us about the trip and, and some of the, the cool things that you checked out, um, some great stuff that they're doing there in Northern Kentucky and in, in, in Cincinnati itself. Yeah, so I, uh, you know, one of the things I like to try and do as much as possible is go to other cities and, you know, specifically just to go and see what they're doing and like check out the, the places where a lot of people like to go and kind of just spend some time walking around and looking at what makes the street work or why what what about it is interesting and appealing to people and how what are they getting right what are they getting wrong and uh so i went with a friend ben bodkins up there last tuesday um, just to walk around and kind of get some ideas about streetscape design and things like that. And uh, we started with uh, Covington. That's just uh, on the south side of the Ohio River from uh, Cincinnati. And uh, there's, so there's like a string of cities along, you know, along the south part of uh, in the Kentucky, northern Kentucky, across from Cincinnati. And like you've got... Covington, Newport, Belleville, and Dayton. I believe that's all the, mm. the along that stretch. And they keep getting a little bit smaller as you move uh, east and away from like the access to Cincinnati. But they're all like have these charming kind of um, 
historic main streets and things like that with like the old storefronts and all that. So we went and checked out Covington and, you know, one of the things that I like to do when I'm in checking out a place is that when I drive, if I drive in there, kind of try just park somewhere and be like, okay, this looks like there's some stuff here. Like, let's just get out and walk around. So we did that. We were looking for coffee and things like that. And, uh, uh, just kind of found some stuff around there, but one of the things that one of the things we were looking at was just how they use their public space, especially with uh, curb extensions. They call them, you know, you call them bump outs or bulb outs or different things, but basically it's the where your sidewalk actually extends out uh, about the length of the car space into the street and kind of with a, a, a concrete curb. And a lot of people probably already know what that is, but um, the interesting thing is there's all these different reasons why you would do that to slow down traffic, um, to create more space for pedestrians and things like that. But one of the things that we saw right when we stopped and got out to walk around was that they were using these uh, curb extensions and they were putting trees in them. Mm. And uh, the interesting thing about that that I thought was the tree, by doing that, instead of having to put, say, we're looking at Bardstown Road in, in Louisville, where you have all these utility lines and the trees that they put underneath can't get more than, you know, I don't know, 15, 18 feet tall because they'll start growing into the power lines and then they have to get cut. They put these trees on the street side of the power lines and things like that. So you could actually get a much taller tree in there. And, you know, it also creates a... a condension of the space uh, when you're driving down the road because the trees are closer in and makes it makes you want to go slower but also create more shade and it was just a you know one of the things that we saw that i thought was something that we could try to figure out how to do here particularly with all of the issues that we have with utility lines and things like that where you can't put larger trees in in a lot of our you know, commercial walkable corridors. Yeah, that was um, a really good one. I think another one that you sort of noted here at UDStudio.org in the piece on, on your Sensi trip was this, uh, you know, idea of, of pedestrian scale lighting. Like we were just, you know, talking about lighting and, and lighting up, you know, streets and, and, and neighborhoods and, and, and parks and public places better. Like, um, I mean, you, you sort of noted sort of this idea of, lighting for kind of the person on the street and I, I guess what do you even mean by pedestrian scale lighting and why are some of these sort of towns and neighborhoods in Cincy doing this better I mean we have some examples of that here in some places like along Main Street um, I believe right across from where um, Patrick Henry is at yeah uh, yeah you know, the lights that are on light, you know, what you would see in old traditional downtowns with the light pole being maybe like 16 feet tall at the most. And the light is meant to light the area on the sidewalk and everything where people are walking and not necessarily like the high sodium bulbs and things we were talking about that flood the whole street with this kind of garish. The ones. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, it's there because it's, you know, if the priority is to like for vehicle travel, then you have these huge sodium bulbs 
And then if it's for pedestrians, you've got these more human human scale, shorter, uh, more ornate kind of lights. But also, but they, you know, when we were walking around by Finley Market, there was a good example. And I think that there might be some in Louisville, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. But where you have one light pole that has a light that's oriented towards the sidewalk that's much lower. And then there's one that goes a little bit higher up yeah it's over the street and that you know that's one way to do it in a in a way that it looks better and the light it provides is a little bit uh nicer for you know places where people are actually out walking around yeah. at night i'm looking at some of your photos of um these town centers whether it's um covington or whether it's you know you got bristol pennsylvania here I mean, they just they just have the nice, cool kind of pedestrian scale lights. They don't have the big, huge, like tall, old school infrastructure fifties, you know, roadway street lights on these streets. Well, and what they do, what here's what happens is, in order to do that, it costs more money, right? And so, mm-hmm. because to do, you can do lighting for both the pedestrian and the street, the the vehicle, but you have to do like what Puma was just saying. You've got a lower light uh, that's maybe somewhere between 12 and 16 feet up, and then a higher light that's about 20 to 25 feet up. But you have to space them so they don't put out as much light, right? So you. The, the high pressure sodium, they put out a huge amount of light, which allows them to stick it on a telephone pole and to space them every like 160 feet. Whereas to do true, true, like, you know, human scale lighting, you've got to space it every 60, mm-hmm. about every 60 or 70 feet. And that just becomes more expensive. So they go the sort of cheap route um, to sort of create a safe environment for the car and to sort of double up on the use of a telephone pole. Yeah, yeah. Like, moving on in, in, in the piece here, you know, Northern Kentucky has all these great sort of small cities that have these really fantastic town center sort of commercial districts that are, you know, very near to a lot of the kind of old old neighborhoods, old historic neighborhoods of, of, these, of these small cities that are on the... Uh, I guess, gosh, south side of the Ohio River. But you've got um, this this bit in the piece on what some of these places are doing uh, for intersection repair. And what does intersection repair even, even mean? Because you've got some good photos and talk about um, how some of this is being done in northern Kentucky um, cities. But you've also got some great shots from your various trips to Memphis. What, what are we talking about with intersection repair? Um, I mean, basically, it's taken intersections that were over-engineered for vehicles and trying to kind of right-size them so that they actually work for pedestrians and for vehicles because, you know, changing the curb, the radius, the turn radius of the curbs so that people can't take them as quickly, um, putting creating sections where the pedestrian is more visible in the crosswalks. I mean, in the one that uh, our friends from Yard did in Dayton. Um, Dayton, Dayton, Cincinnati. Dayton, Cincinnati, yeah. yeah. They, uh, they kind of re- reconfigured where the, uh, how, how wide the intersection is with paint. So it's, it's just a temporary kind of adjustment to see how it works and things like that. 
but it visually makes you feel like the road is more narrow and where the people are going to be walking across is very visible and very and, and it captures your attention so you know that something different is going on when you get up to this uh, four-way stop and uh you know it looks visually striking and it happened to be the beginning of the memorial day uh parade and they were able to get <coughs> they were able to get the red white and blue color scheme going on there right across from the vfw hall yeah it looks really the intersection looks really great it really sort of helps sort of like make it clear like where cars should be and maybe create some additional space for, for, for people or, or at least to, you know, keep cars kind of hemmed in a bit at this intersection. It, it's, it's, and um, this, uh, go ahead. this is a, this is a temporary installation that allows them to try it out. Right. Yeah. And then if it works, they can do an actual curb and, and shrink the whole thing up and like do a more permanent solution. Right. Yeah. And that, and then I, what I included in the uh, piece too after that section was about trips to Memphis where there's like another interim kind of option where they have this kind of epoxy gravel that they can put down that adheres to the surface and gives it a little dimension, but it's not um, you know full out concrete curbs, but it's more than paint that washes off. And they would use these kind of like, they look like, the somebody took the top off of a basketball like there's a little concrete little bump that they put along the edge so that when if your car tire goes over you know that like you've gone too far over and then use of planters and uh just it's it's kind of like a, a medium term solution to see if it's going to work but you know the the stuff that they implemented in memphis uh that tommy and those guys did uh is probably still up so it's something that lasts long enough that you can really get a good sense and kind of start to see the changes you wanted to see happen without having to spend the full money to do concrete and and also test to make sure it's working you may yeah do something like this and find out you would have liked to have you know made this cut or this cut different and you know you can always make those changes which is the best part about iterative design Oh, I love it. I love it. That's great. Like, cause the, the, the paint is good. The paint's like kind of showing cars where to go. It's kind of giving some space to people at this intersection here in, in this Covington, right? Like, but actually using this as the model to help build out like more just pedestrian space for real with, with a new extended curb is amazing. And hopefully they, they, they put some of those trees in there that you were showing in those, um, those bump outs from earlier and kind of the last bit that you get to, which is something that you have some experience, um, in, in, in designing, you know, and here in Louisville and, and helping folks with, um, and definitely advocating for, uh, is the idea of, uh, parklets. And, and it looks like, um, you know, it, places like um, the Over the Rhine um, district of Cincinnati and some other spots, they got some really fantastic uh, parklets coming together using uh, some maybe more funded designs in some cases. And some of them are looking a little more DIY, DIY. but uh, what, what were you, uh, gosh, it looks like they got a lot going on. What, what, what were you thinking? What were you seeing? Uh, I mean, this trip, Oh, right. particularly in over the Rhine, and I guess that they started a, a program for to help. Yeah, parklet program 
mostly just to help with restaurants during COVID to be able can to we, get. Can we just back up and describe what a parklet is real quick? Sorry. Oh, yeah. Uh, parklet, uh, I mean, my interpretation of this is that there was a parking day that started back in 2016 by or 20, 2006 by a firm called Rebar in in uh, San Francisco. They basically took a parking space, a metered parking space, and turned it into a park for the day, and just paid the meter. And that kind of grew into this like global movement of think, rethinking how we use our public infrastructure. And then from that, kind of the next iteration or evolution of it was the parklet, which is actually a semi-permanent structure that's put into place to expand the uh, pedestrian area of a street, you know, extended off of the sidewalk. And it's typically as deep as a, a car, about that, you know, nine, eight, nine feet deep. And then either one, two, in some cases, three, like parking spaces are taken up and they use wood decking and different materials. A lot, you know, one of the important pieces is some kind of structure around the outside edge of the parklet so that if a car does not see it, it doesn't careen into people that are sitting in where there used to be a parked car. And uh, yeah, so parklets are basically extensions of the sidewalk that are semi-permanent. And in, in uh, what we saw was that to their an initial response to trying to create outdoor space for restaurants and things like that, they were doing these parklets. And I guess that as the people, you know, the pandemic around here started winding down and people were able to go into restaurants and things like that, they decided to make these permanent now. So they're... I forget how many there are, but they're, when you drive around uh, over the Rhine, you see them all over the place. And yeah, they may, they're not as artistic as the ones I show later on that were like kind of an experimentation, you know, five or six years ago. Um, but they're, you know, they, they fulfill a function of, you know, and they're nice. They've got little planters and things like that that help create a barrier between you and the cars, but also they look like they're really well done and will last a long time and they create that extra space that you need totally totally i know we're only got about a minute left here on city state but you also saw some really cool kind of visionary stuff happening um in the over the rhine district uh, of cincinnati uh, some of this stuff um uh, i don't know what, what was your your take it looks like some great stuff i don't even know how to describe it uh uh my our friend James Fisher, who has a tech company in, in Cincinnati, he's at the very end of Over the Rhine, and mm -hmm. he bought a warehouse. What do you mean the end? Kind of the northern tip of yeah. you know, Pat Liberty, yeah. and he was there uh, for a long time, just kind of in a warehouse, and he slowly was rebuilding it, and then you know through success and things like that, he started buying up more boarded up buildings, and it's just this idea of creating a district that's really you know boarded up and you know having this vision for like how all the pieces fit together it's uh not something you get an opportunity to see very often oh, that's really cool so he's got some like um ideas for kind of like businesses and and, and public parks and the like oh yeah housing businesses you know shops what does the place need the conversion of a gas station that's existing so yeah it's a it's interesting there'll be more about that as it evolves well, we have come up 
to the end of another hour here at WXOX LP Louisville. Um, thanks for listening to City State. We will see everyone next week right back here. See you. All right. Peace out.